Hey, babe, 40 here. Remember how amusing it was in 2015, 2016, watching Donald Trump like do what all the experts said was absolutely impossible. Like watching Donald Trump just show all the experts that they're wrong. Right, standing up against all the boycotts, right, overcoming the, every obstacle in his way. First of all, mounting a hostile takeover of the Republican Party, and then mounting a hostile takeover of the United States of America, and everything that all all the elites that held sacred and becoming president of the United States against all odds. And you know who's got that kind of energy in 2023? Right? It's not Donald Trump anymore. Right? It's Tucker Carlson. Like, what will this guy do next? And there's a book coming out about him called Hated by All the Right People. And the author of this book has a long essay in the New York Times today. It's called Fox Gambled with His Future. Tucker Carlson can still take down the house. So the conventional wisdom is that uh, Fox News is the star, and Fox would just replace Tucker Carlson. No biggie, right? Just as they did with Bill O'Reilly and Glenn Beck and, and Megyn Kelly. But it uh, doesn't seem to be working out that way. Fox's ratings, particularly in Tucker's time slot, have absolutely plunged. There's a lot of excitement out there about what the heck will Tucker Carlson do next. And it's just kind of amusing how Tucker Carlson frequently just ignored Donald Trump's calls, like didn't want to meet with him, just blew him off. And uh, and that just makes Donald Trump all the hotter <laughs> for Tucker Carlson because, you know, Tucker Carlson's just blowing him off. So I woke up at 1.45 a.m. this morning. I need to get blogging, right? I need to get to work. Finished to stay in bed till 3 a.m. And then finally, finally got up, got going, listened to this entire uh, three-hour, four-hour space that uh, Chuck Johnson did with Richard Spencer on April 26th. Uh, let me play some of the, the good bits. <laughs> the guy's going to get in trouble. And uh, and I should have listened, you know? Like, there's a lesson in that of, like, listening to your elders on various topics. He also told me Ted Cruz also blurred my book, and he told me Ted Cruz was never going to be president, and he told me that in 2012 or so, 2013 or so, after Ted Cruz won the Senate race in Texas. And by the way, I think it's going to be Ted Cruz. You know, there's the Ted Cruz tapes that exist between Ted Cruz and... Uh, and Tucker Carlson, and of course, Jack Smith, reportedly, the special counsel, wants those tapes. And for those who don't know, Ted Cruz has all these weird connections with the Chinese, with the Ukrainian mob. Uh, you know, there's all that stuff about him basically you're fucking anything that moved when he lived in D.C. And of course, there's the stuff about his, you know, his wife, uh, you know, being a nutter and his daughter being a nutter, um, you know, which, by the way, like, I've got nothing against people's family members being fucked up. But that's basically, you know, why he's not running for president again. And, uh, and I don't think he could actually survive the vetting the second time through, to be honest with you. I think we'll see Ted Cruz quietly retire from the Senate in the next few years. It's kind of my bet. Um, particularly, you know, he's friends with Harlan Crow. He's in those photos with Clarence Thomas and uh, Judge Ho, you know, in, the, in Harlan Crow's, you know, palatial property. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, so that's basically that's sort of setting the stage. I don't know if there are any questions. You know, we can kind of go through this a little bit. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the basic kind of backdrop there. I think I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to say about this. Um, I have a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So this is something you mentioned in passing, but it, it, it caught my eye. So this is uh, Richard Spencer speaking with Chuck Johnson. Higher ear, as it were. Um, you said that uh, Steve Bannon was interested in having you shut down the alt-right Reddit. Yes. So Steve Bannon told me in the 2016 campaign, he said, hey, Charles, we need you out there to just talk to whoever and get them, get all the crazies for us. 
And right. it was sort of defended. So, like, I literally went and I met with the Chabad rabbis. I met with the fucking Amish. Like, you name the fringe group that was, like, marginally for Trump. I met with Sikhs for Trump. Uh, you name it, I met with them. Okay? Yeah. And, including the alt-right. <laughs> including the alt-right. <laughs> right. And the election, we win, obviously. And Bannon is like, hey, I want you to mop up all the crazy operations you were a part of. And I was like, okay, whatever. No big deal. Sam Altman of Reddit, who's now at OpenAI, Sam, Sam Altman is thinking of running for governor of California. Um, he, you know, becomes a friend. I introduced him to Dominic Cummings. Uh, by the way, I also bet very heavily on Brexit. I thought the Brexit was going to happen. And so I have a lot of connections in the UK as a result of that. And there are elements of the UK system that kind of hate me for this. Uh, but my view was, was that Brexit would happen. Uh, we would basically get something like AUKUS. Okay? The prediction was, was that you want to force Britain out of the European Union to destabilize the European Union because the European Union is a fiction. And then Britain is forced into an alliance with America, a closer alliance with America, which is always kind of my hope that there would be a kind of like alliance of the English speaking peoples written about this, talked about it, whatever. Fine. So Bannon is like, hey, man, we need you to mop up all these far right operations. I'm like, well, that's easy. Like they just publicly said uh, that they're against Holocaust denial on Reddit. Right. Reddit, of course, has all this Chinese money. There's all these Israelis around it. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to go like tell Sam Altman I'm going to do some light Holocaust denial on the alt right subreddit. And I actually linked also to I think we were doing like a crowdfund to identify the dude who punched you in the head, Richard. And yeah. so I linked to that. And. Okay, this is crazy stuff, and if only 50% of it is true. No, he's, he's not always right. He's frequently wrong. He is uh, um, all over the place. Like, he's, he's got an interesting track record of just being embarrassingly wrong at times and uh, frequently way ahead of the curve. So this is the New York Times today, op-ed. There's a good reason to believe that Tucker Carlson will be the exception that proves the rule. The rule being that the network is the star, not the anchors. For one thing, unlike previous stars who have left Fox, Tucker Carlson departed when he was still at the height of his power, making his firing all the more sudden and shocking. Three days before his sacking, he gave the keynote address at the Heritage Foundation's 50th anniversary gala. Two weeks before that, he browbeat Texas Republican governor to issue a pardon to a man who had been convicted of murdering a Black Lives Matter protester in Austin. At Fox, he exercised power in ways that were new and unique for a cable star. Right? He was a sophisticated political operator, as much as he was a talented TV host, to an astonishingly unsettling degree. So he continued to thrive while making racist and sexist comments and earning the praise of neo-Nazis. Like Donald Trump, he gave voice to an anger, a sense of grievance, and a conspiratorial mindset that resonated with many Americans. But unlike Donald Trump, not to mention his motley crew of cheerleaders and imitators, Tucker Carlson developed and articulated a coherent political ideology that could prove more lasting and more influential than any court of personality. Tucker Carlson has left Fox News, but his outsized influence on the conservative movement and on American politics is hardly over. They immediately deleted the whole alt-right subreddit. And I sent that to Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was like, that's fucking awesome. Good job. He was like applauding me for shutting down all these crazy groups. So um, you engaged in uh, agent provocateur-like behavior well, by engaging on it, in some, as yeah, in your I, words, mild Holocaust revisionism on Reddit. Correct. Um, and it was kind of too clever by half at the time. I even say in the post, I'm not a Holocaust denier, but if you were a Holocaust denier, these would be the books you would read. Right. And of course, the ADL people screenshotted that, freaked the fuck out, which I knew they would. And of course, they get the whole thing shut down. Which, by the way, it was kind of interesting, like all the ADL groups, all these other groups were getting very sophisticated at policing all the social media properties, almost like they had people inside them, which, of course, they did. I, I'm also interested. I don't endorse that type of behavior, um, just to be honest. But yeah, I, and to be honest you know, with you, looking back at it now, I probably I mean, my thinking in those days, right, was 
well, you know, this guy who's going to be the advisor of the president of the United States is giving me an order. Okay. Um, I'm a good patriotic American. I'm going to do what, you know, of course, I didn't know at the time that he was a traitor working for the Chinese all the time. Later, of course, I would help the FBI bust him. And of course, he would get pardoned because the Zionist Organization of America leaned on Trump to do that. And I think today, like Brian Colfage and all the people he was working on with the We Build the Wall silliness, uh, all got uh, sentenced, I think. Was it sentenced? What was it, Tom? You were the one tweeting about this. How uh, Colfage did, did Colfage lost get a, or, or what, he got four years. years. Yeah. He got four years. So Bannon got off and the guy got yeah, his, his work. Yes. So, so basically all of the help went to jail except Steve Bannon. And Steve Bannon was very close to all the various Chinese, Guo Wangui, some other folks as well. And I just assumed Bannon was some kind of... Now, in 2015, Fox News wanted to knock... Donald Trump down and out of the race, right? Fox News did everything they could to eliminate him from the race, right? And it didn't work. And then in 2022, 2023, they've been doing everything they can to try to pump life, right, into the seemingly lifeless personality of <laughs> Ronald DeSantis. And and it's absolutely not working. They've also, they, they went about seven months without even having Donald Trump on for an interview on Fox News. Absolutely uh, didn't work. All right. So it looks now like a Donald Trump's overwhelming favorite to win the Republican nomination. All of Fox News's plans to destroy Donald Trump in 2015 didn't work out. Their, their attempts to do it again last eight months haven't worked out. Uh, Rupert Murdoch is making just a whole series of erratic decisions and like Donald Trump looks strong, but, but Tucker Carlson looks even stronger. And when Fox news got fully on board with Donald Trump in 2016, like Tucker Carlson took a step off the Trump train, right? So Tucker Carlson tonight was not a down the line pro Trump show. Like each night Tucker Carlson articulated a populist nationalist ideology best described as Trumpism without Trump, right? He brought on new right intellectuals such as Curtis Yarvin and uh, Michael Anton, smuggled their fringe ideas into the conservative mainstream. Carlson often offered views that were more inflammatory and more extreme than Donald Trump's. He complained that immigrants made America poorer, dirtier, and more divided. And he proclaimed that white supremacy was a hoax. A blog post on the neo-Nazi website, The Daily Stormer, celebrated Tucker Carlson is basically Daily Stormer, the show. Other than the language used, he's covering all our talking points. And when Donald Trump wasn't, wasn't willing to go as far as Tucker Carlson, Carlson wasn't afraid to call Trump out. The wake of the George Floyd murder in the summer of 2020, Tucker lambasted Trump for not cracking down harder on Black Lives Matter protests in Washington and elsewhere. You can't keep a Fox News correspondent from getting attacked directly across from your house. How can you protect my family? Tucker said, how are you going to protect the country? How hard are you trying? So Tucker was positioning himself in opposition to Trump as the vanguard of the American right. And Tucker is the vanguard of the American right. But Tucker frames the narratives for conservative politics. Tucker does not react to the news. Tucker creates the news. And Tucker's criticism of Trump and the wary distance that Tucker has kept from Trump, sometimes even refusing to take Trump's calls, make Tucker that much more intriguing to the president. Tucker is the hot girl that doesn't want to sleep with you. Trump is fascinated by this idea. Everyone else is calling me. Why aren't you calling me? And Tucker would, uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, would frequently fret about getting on Tucker Carlson's bad side. He'd say, Tucker's crushing us. Our base is going to leave us. Right? For, for Trump, Carlson had become bigger than Fox. Like, it is Tucker Carlson who is the figure on the American right. It's not Donald Trump and it's not Fox News.
Now, when Roger Ailes read Fox News, the pecking order was clear, right? The, the network was the star. But Tucker has repeatedly stepped over lines at Fox, and uh, <laughs> people have complained, but he just kept, keeps doing it. So Tucker Carlson, for, for years, has seemed to dare his bosses to fire him. And so when Trump was kicked out of the White House, Tucker Carlson has emerged as the right wing's standard bearer in America's culture wars. He occupies the same mental real estate among both conservatives and liberals that Trump once did. So Tucker is no longer just a cable host. He is a movement leader, and he's working to bring the GOP in line with his own views. He's boosted ideological comrades like J.D. Vance. He lobbied Trump to give J.D. Vance his endorsement. And uh, when Trump agreed, he ended up by telling Carlson, you'll be happy. Now, we're looking at the 2024 presidential race, and uh, Tucker is dead set opposed to Nikki Haley, for whom he developed an intense personal delike, <laughs> dislike during an ill-fated hunting weekend about 10 years ago. And uh, Carlson, like many people at Fox News, was all down with making Donald Trump a non-person in 2022. He appeared to be leaning toward the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, as a less erratic, more electable alternative to Trump. And seeing this, Donald Trump tried desperately to win back Tucker Carlson, but Carlson refused to sit down with him. Finally, last July, Donald Trump Jr., with whom Tucker has become close, traveled to Carlson's residence in rural Maine and pressed Tucker to meet with his dad. So a few weeks later, Tucker showed up at Donald Trump's Bedminster Resort in New Jersey. On the same weekend, he was hosting the Saudi-backed LIV golf tour, and the result were all these pictures of Tucker Carlson yucking it up with uh, Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene in the uh, VIP section. Uh, I think you've probably seen these uh, pictures. So it's uh, Donald Trump who very much wants to stay on Tucker's good side, not the other way around. Two have grown closer ever since. So Fox has now fired Carlson, but uh, Carlson has no shortage of options. He could go to work for Newsmark, Newsmax or One American News Network. Uh, by Wednesday, two days after Tucker's firing, Fox's ratings in the 8 p.m. hour had plummeted by half to their lowest levels in more than 20 years. Newsmax's audience had shot up more than 300% over the previous week. Tucker might strike out on his own, form a media company to stream his show online. The world is Tucker's oyster, says one person who spoke with Tucker this week. Many billionaires and others with deep pockets would be eager to fund a new venture. And there's always a chance that Tucker could run for office. So Tucker reappeared Wednesday night with a two and a half minute video. Talked about how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on TV are complained that both political parties and their donors actively collude to shut down discussion of the truly important issues, war, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. That America has become a one-party state with the people in charge. Know that the old orthodoxies won't last, but it doesn't have to stay that way. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. So in under two hours, the video racked up 11 million views. All right, vintage Tucker Carlson. He's incorporated his firing into his apocalyptic worldview. So now as Fox News, it's part of the elite consensus that Tucker Carlson's trying to overturn, right? And it's not hard to imagine that a good segment of Americans will follow along with his logic, right? Tucker Carlson stands for millions of Americans 
as the one person who's independent, courageous, and powerful enough to tell them the truth. And so just as Murdoch and Fox fail to make Trump a non-person, they won't be able to make Tucker Carlson a non-person either. So look for this book coming out in 2014. A biography of Tucker Carlson is called Hated by All the Right People. All right, back to Chuck Johnson here talking with Richard Spencer. Because I knew that Bannon had been in the Navy. You know, we had a number of friends in common from the sort of military world, um, Mm -hmm. you know, from L.A. Um, What I later learned, by the way, is that he was telling various Chinese people and Israeli people about all those military and Navy and intelligence people I knew in L.A. So he was basically being a traitor the whole time through. So that was kind of interesting, and to put it mildly. And Bannon gets kicked out. You know, it's a year in. He gets kicked out. And uh, I, of course, go, go meet him. Um, and when I'm meeting Bannon after he's kicked out in the, in the embassy, that property that the Egyptians are in, he is sitting there with the then Israeli ambassador, basically like, in the house. And of course, like at that time, the Israelis were like hacking a number of our phones. They were up to all kinds of shady shit. And I, it was like, it's like in the movie, you know, when you realize like that you've been had, that you've been fucked with. I just sort of like saw him there and I like, was pleasant or whatever to the Israeli ambassador. Actually, it wasn't the ambassador. It was like one of their, one of their main like attache types. It wasn't the ambassador. I forget the guy's name now. I'm looking right at him. I'm in my side. And I sort of like slowly walked out of the property. And then I was like, oh, this guy's really, really bad. And then like a few months later, the FBI called me about him and various things I saw or knew about his relationship with Cernovich, his relationship with other people he was leaking to, and kind of gave them chapter and verse about all the weird stuff he asked me to do. Which I don't know, you know, looking back at it now, like uh, I obviously don't condone getting that subreddit shut down. It's also unclear if they shut it down for quote unquote, you know, harassment by having a crowdfund to identify the guy who punched you in the head, Richard, or like what that was about. Um, And then later, you know, the payment processor that I used uh, through Stripe got suspended, right? So my, you know, researcher outfit got shut down. And, uh, and of course, there were uh, all these Israelis and others contacting me at the time. Which, by the way, like, the Israelis, this, that, that sort of world is all over the payment processing space. So when we we're talking about Rumble and Locals, right? Locals was started by Israelis with Scott Adams, of all people. Scott Adams and Dave Rubin were back. Yeah, I remember Locals. that. And, of course, Locals is heavily backed by David Sachs. David Sachs, you know, heavily invests in Rumble, which is a $2.5 billion fraud, which is its own kind of thing we can go into. By the way, David Sachs was also somebody who told me in the 2016 campaign, who was a maxed out supporter to Hillary Clinton, that there was no way in this universe that Donald Trump was gonna be president, which is in and of itself interesting. He became a huge DeSantis fan afterwards. Um, anyway, so yeah, so basically- So let's have a look at uh, uh, Charles Johnson's Twitter feed. And he says, I'm sorry that I was involved in helping J.D. Vance get elected because uh, J.D. Vance got a tweet here celebrating Israel's 75th anniversary. And then Charles says, New York Times reporter named Adam Goldman, er, name the Jew. I've contacted the FBI's Washington field office about this off that was run on me. And then he says, this is what occupation looks like. All right. From Charles Johnson's fevered imagination, the United States is occupied by uh, Israel. uh, We did uh, my first year in office, the largest ever a state trip to Israel in June of 2019 that I uh, made a prayer at the Western Wall, uh, prayed for no hurricanes, and we had a big one bearing right on our peninsula, and it did a 90-degree turn and didn't scratch us. Um, and look, that's just the way it goes. So I wasn't able to get back to the Israel this year because of the, of the restrictions and the pandemic, and... I don't know if it's a coincidence, but although we didn't get hit as bad as we could have, Hurricane Sally was heading towards New Orleans, and like 12 hours before, it does a big wobble and ends up Pensacola has three feet of water. 
And I just thought to myself, had I been at the Western Wall, it would have wobbled to the west instead of wobbling to the east. And so it just means we've got to get back to Israel next year, uh, which I think we will be able to do. I've been telling people, Florida, we have the best beaches. We have the best theme parks. And now we are the best at counting votes because we actually conducted yes. <laughs> so We had 11 million votes counted by midnight. And I think that's true. We're proud of that. But I also think Florida, uh, we are the strongest state in support of a strong relationship with the state of Israel. And I think that's very clear. We, um, you know, when you have to do this stuff, like when I was in Congress, it kind of be a nominal thing like, yeah, most Republicans particularly were pro-Israel. Some Democrats, not as much anymore, but some many were, um, or at least nominally. Uh, but, you know, that's not enough. I mean, you really got to lead. And so we were able to, with the Airbnb, really step up right out of the box before I'd even taken office, say we're not going to tolerate that in the state of Florida. Uh, and we need to put BDS on the ash heap of history. And I think that the success of that has really helped us get more. As Forty done a deep dive on the anti-harassment law Ron DeSantis just signed. No, I have not. All right, this is what occupation looks like, guys. We brought the delegation for prayer at the Western Wall. The only thing I can tell you is uh, my prayer in 2019 was that we would be spared the upcoming hurricane season in the state of Florida. And we were in a situation as we got in the height of hurricane season, you had a monstrous hurricane barreling east or barreling west towards the Florida Peninsula, Hurricane Dorian. It was a category five, a very strong category five, and it was headed basically going to ram right into our state. Well, um, and at that time when it was on that track, people were saying, well, the uh, God must not be listening to the governor because uh, we're, we're, we may be getting rammed here. Well, I can tell you the storm was heading our way. It slowed down. It turned all the way 90 degrees and, and went north and never impacted our coast. And so I'm chalking it up to the prayer I put in the Western Wall. People, people can offer whatever rationale they want. Okay, dancing Israelis with the stars. That's what we need. Let's have a look through uh, the magical mystery <laughs> Twitter feed. You know he's super pro Netanyahu, big put down here. Maybe these people are foreign subversives trying to use the issue to divide Americans. They knew you'd be susceptible. And uh, this is talking about the immense pressure to conform to the COVID narrative. Okay, uh, boy, he's uh, he's prolific. He says, "Rumble tumble incoming," according to uh, basically the thing to understand about this period in between Trump winning and in between like them taking power is it was an extremely chaotic period where there was knives everywhere. There was a dude I took out to dinner who turned out to be a Russian spy. He was like a college student at NYU. There was all kinds of crazy shit because remember they all believed. Okay, they all believed that Hillary Clinton was going to be president. So none of them had none of the foreign countries. Okay, had any prediction. So they had to be rebuild all of their source networks around Trump. Okay, and of course the Israelis didn't like that because they had their boy Jared Kushner in there. Nor did the Chinese like it because they had their boy Jared Kushner in there. And so 
basically everything flowed through Kushner. And that's really why Bannon and Kushner were in the massive fight that they were. That's what that really was about. Yeah. Remember the, the uh, Fire and Fury book, the Michael Wolf book, right? Which basically led to Bannon being, quote, unquote, fired, sloppy Steve and all of that. Yeah. Michael Wolf was always very close to the Russians and also the Russian aligned Israelis. So that's an important thing to understand. The purpose of that book was to eliminate Steve Bannon and other folks. Well, I almost support that effort. Um, <laughs> what, uh, no, but it was a I, sort of internal fight, right? It was yeah, a fight. No, no, I, I understand that. I just, I hate Steve Bannon so much. Oh, um, you too. By the, by the way, like he will go to jail and I'll have been a major reason to have gone there. So I'm quite happy about it. Yeah. If you've ever had a boss that's abusive, there's no, there's no greater joy than when the FBI calls you up to talk about it. And they're yes. like, oh, Mr. Johnson, do you have any time? And it's like, yes, yes, officer, I have as much time as you want. You know, like, I don't know if any of you had, have, have, have you ever had, if you've ever had a boss that was like abusive to you, nasty to you, and you were in a position to really fuck him over, there's really no greater joy than that. And the way to fuck him over is by telling the truth. Oh man, was that good? You know? Yeah. Anyway. One, one thing, this is just a, a dynamic. Um, you know, there's this famous or, or infamous quote of Steve Bannon to Sarah Posner, which is that Breitbart is the platform for the alt-right. And this has often been quoted as like, you know, a smoking gun that Bannon is a secret Nazi or whatever, something like that. But I think everyone has missed the meaning of that quote, of what he said. What he is saying is he's, he's being very accurate for once. He, he's, usually his uh, speech patterns are, are, are bizarre and, you know, um, making everything a noun and stuff like this. Um, but he's basically saying that the Breitbart is a platform for the alt-right. It is going to be, the comment section is going to be a kind of forum for alt-right behavior. Now, maybe you could say he wanted to target and locate them or whatever. I'm not even positive about that. He saw the alt-right as this force that was pro-Trump and pro-him, and they wanted to control it. And so, like, the Milo article that was, that was actually written by one of his ghostwriters, forgetting his name in the moment. Bakari. Yes. And that was a whitewash. And at the time, it, it kind of, it basically depicted the alt-right as, like, Tucker or something. You know, it's like, these are just natural conservatives, and um, I think that was the term they used, which I'd never heard before. And, you know, they, they care about their country, and they're, they're, they're intellectually curious about things, and um, they're just worried, you know, they're anti, they're, I think there was even some, like, anti-war stuff thrown in, who knows. But it was basically to make the alt-right totally non-ideological and useful. And they were kind of whitewashing it at that time. Um, my name was not mentioned in that piece, but I didn't take offense. Um, I just basically kind of was like, well, you know, they're whitewashing us. This is good. It's politic, et cetera. And, uh, you know, just take, take a win when you see one. Um, but again, the whole point was to create the alt-right that they could mobilize and control. And, it, and, you know, Milo was part of that. Milo's to a large degree, just an invention of Steve Bannon. You know, it's like, thank you, Steve, for bequeathing Milo to the world. Uh, you know, um, but they, you know, I don't want to make this too personal, but there always was this like extreme hostility uh, towards myself from Steve Bannon. And he would kind of subtweet me and stuff like this and, you know, subtweet me verbally, like in a 60 minutes interview. I just, I noticed it. I don't know if other people did, but it was basically like, look, the all right, they're just Trump supporters and all this ideological stuff. Ah, you know, that's just an invention of the New York Times. Uh, you know, Richard Spencer is just an invention of the New York Times. He has no real base and blah, blah, blah. You know, maybe kernels of truth to that, but obviously it was hostile and um, completely, you know, lacking in any sort of generosity or something like that. I, I always felt that he viewed me as a kind of nuisance. No, I mean, um, look, it's, I'll just be honest with you. Like, like, you have to understand that the the Israelis... Wow, it seems just has like a lot of egos here. So with every, every pundit, right, they're all about how important they are and how they had to say it was truly important. Everyone else is delusional. And uh, it, it's good, right, to have that competition, all right? Uh, Richard Spence is very good at taking the measure of many people on the right. Some people on the right are very good at taking his measure. 
right? As iron strengthens iron, so one man strengthens another. The Chinese and the Russians were all aligned in wanting Donald Trump to be president. Right. Okay. And they each had their reasons. So in the... They didn't have that, that big of a reason, right? Uh, it wasn't like it was just overwhelmingly better for Russia or for, for China for Donald Trump to be president. Right. If, uh, if Russia and China did not exist, right, Donald Trump still would have become president in 2016, right? The, the role of China and Russia in our elections right, is tiny. The role of China in our elections is just tiny. So this is one area where I have a big disagreement with Chuck Johnson and with the mainstream media who like to play up the Russian collusion hoax. The case of the Israelis, they knew that they had Kushner in there and Kushner was their boy. Because Kushner's father, Charles Kushner, you know, Tom, if you find the sinews of war thing about the dark origins on Jared Kushner, you know, you can pull that up and put that in there. But basically, Charles Kushner had gone to jail uh, for essentially blackmailing Governor Jim McGreevy with a homosexual, uh, you know, you know, tryst that he was in with, uh, I think his name was Sapel or something like that, Gal Sapel or something like that. He was, um, he was the Israeli guy who was advisor to him of home on Homeland Security, and they would like, they would basically fuck at, um, at Kushner's properties down in Florida. And so he was being blackmailed over all that at the time. And Chris Christie, U.S. A, a, you know, U.S. Attorney at the time, Chris Christie is the one who brought charges against that. That, of course, was a major reason the chair had stopped Christie from being the vice president. Which, by the way, in the Trump campaign, it was pretty well established that Christie was the guy. Okay, it's really only the you know what, what Jared claimed was that if we put Mike Pence in, we'll get all the coke money. Because remember, they're all for money in this period. And so the idea is let's get the, the Hickey Evangelicals. And I was like, well, we already have the Hickey Evangelicals, and they're all Scotch Irish, and Trump is Scotch Irish. Let's go get like the basically the ethnic whites, right? which is what uh, Christie would have represented. And I think there would have been a very different presidency if Christie were, were the vice president. I think, I think actually the world would be a very interesting place now. Um, I think about that a lot, actually. It's kind of one of those mm. things. Um, Christie told his wife, Christie had packed his bags. The grab by the pussy event happens with the Billy Bush stuff, and Christie does not go on the plane with the Trump world. He's sort of like, you know, it's too late. Question is, did he get stuck in traffic as he claims? Did he deliberately not try to make the flight? Very unclear at the time. But he wasn't on the plane because he wasn't on the plane after the run by the pussy thing came out. The question is, like, could they really trust him? Was he really on team? Yeah. Now, um, the thing to understand about the alt-right uh, is that it was an alternative to the right, right? Exactly. And if the right is very penetrated by the Israelis, right, therefore, logically, it was an Israel skeptic movement, right? Except we would basically praise Israel as a way of showing that it's an exceptionally weird country, and that we should be more like them. And I know you were guilty of that. I was guilty of that, where we basically be like, oh, Israel's great. Like, they secure their border. They, yeah. You know, like, all I, I was guilty of that. I probably would not use that type of rhetorical device now, and I haven't. But yeah, definitely. At the yeah, time, all the stuff that J.D. Vance now does, right, and talks about, about like yeah. how Israel's a great country and they have a positive birth rate and all that stuff, right? <laughs> the stuff that Tucker has talked about on TV, right? Right. So looking at uh, Twitter, Matthew Kronig, who's a professor at uh, Georgetown and on the Atlantic Council. He says, China's economy is a basket case. It grew over the decades because the United States wanted it to grow to be part as part of our strategy of incorporating China as a stakeholder in the rules-based system. Now that China is challenging that system, the free world is kicking the ladder down. The economy of Xi's China is doomed. Interesting perspective. Right. I don't believe that anymore. Like, I actually believe that the occupation and mistreatment of Palestinians you know, has led to another occupation, which is the rule of the oligarchs over Israel, and therefore the capture of Israel and then the use of Israeli technology. Well, it, it's not even, Israel is not even like basic bitch nationalism, which is the way that it's presented. You know, it's like, oh, strong borders, and, you know, we fight the terrorists. It's not even that. It is designed to be an endless occupation. I mean, there, there are kind of... Uh, how is it not uh, nationalism, and how, how do they not uh, protect their borders? And 
what are the alternatives if Israel wants to survive? Like, what are the alternatives to uh, occupation? I'm not sure there are any alternatives, right? If you place as your people's number one survival is the number one goal for your nation state is survival, then you do absolutely everything that you need to do to survive, including occupation. Like three paths that Israel can go go down. One of them is nationalist. It's a smaller Israel um, that will probably eventually be demographically overwhelmed. Um, the other path is a greater Israel that is, is almost a kind of Hitlerian path. It's like a greater Israel plus just outright ethnic cleansing and genocide. This is yeah. stuff that like population transfers that, you know, uh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, Hitler didn't, you know, become a dirty name because he engaged in population transfer. All right. A, a greater Israel would not be Hitlerian. Hero has, has talked about. Yeah, by the way, by the, the way. Vin, like, hold on real quick. Yeah, real quick. Yeah. Uh, remember, Charles, I've got to wind up. It's like Nolan Ryan. So I wind oh, yes. up and then I. See, this is this is Alpha here by Richard. And, you know, this is one place that uh, we all should uh, should learn from Richard don't don't allow people to interrupt you if you have something important to say you know don't cuck you always no you I'm with you I, I, you always love the foreplay what can I say Richard Go ahead. <laughs> um, so the other path which is the third path which is what uh, uh, Bibi has chosen is this endless horrible occupation which is an occupation by design so we're, we can't get away with like outright ethnic cleansing of some kind whether it's genocide or population transfer or whatever and so we are going to just endlessly do this for decades upon decades they will endlessly have these open-air prisons and they'll more or less get away with it and they'll claim that the these people they're occupying are terrorists but it is it, it's not like like a lot of people look at the middle east they're like oh my god it's so weird god they've been fighting for centuries and oh how do we solve this it's such a mess you know it's like it's actually easily easy to solve. You have to, at some point, begin to presume that this horrible situation is not like that is the outcome that's desired. It's, it's not just a bad thing that's happened. They oh, want to even endlessly more occupy this. Yeah, well, there are lots of other parts of the world that are continually in, in conflict or just uh, just a, a shot or an assassination away from conflict, like like the Balkans. So I don't think uh, Israel is designed. For, for occupation, Israel would have life a lot easier if it didn't have to occupy, but it's in a tough part of the world, and if it's going to survive, it's going to have to do some heinous things, all right? Do you want to survive, or do you want to be pristine with your morals, right? I would choose survival. Even more disturbing than that. Um, so I started to realize, like, a few years back, when I started getting really into genetics research, that a lot of the people who claim to be Jews in Israel weren't. Oh, yeah. Uh, my God, this is such a low IQ analysis. That the, the, the turns out that the evangelical Christians are the true Jews, according to uh, this analysis. Let me skip that matter. Past it. Uh, many of the, the Ashkenazi Jews and others are, in fact, not really uh, not really Jews in a historical sense. That racially they're not Jews. <laughs> and so, the... uh, what does that mean? There is overwhelmingly certain genetic similarities between Jews. They are about as genetically similar people as you will find the israeli state is very freaked out about genetics which of course you know those of us who work in genetics those of us who've invested in it we've been targeted by the israelis in different ways because the israelis have wanted to have control over the genomic genealogy space like all the murders and rapes and everything getting solved in that way that's a very important project that they wanted to master my heritage you know family tree dna these are very israeli companies and let's not forget genie which is the genealogy company that was acquired uh, by my heritage was started by none other than david sachs uh, who has family connections to, uh, you know, to Lithuanian Jews and the whole, that whole world. So remember, the Russians took a lot of the, Ru the Russian Jewry or the Jewry writ large and kind of put them on the pail, right? That was sort of a big part of that project.
And of course, those people, many of them moved after after the Holocaust, after World War II, they all moved to Israel. Many of them were of all different, you know, it's unclear what they all were, right? So let's just put it in that context. Uh, so I become convinced over the last few years that Peter Beinart is correct, that basically the, the model that a lot of people are trying to impose on Israel is a kind of apartheid South African frame. That was certainly the view that Jimmy Carter had. Um, and of course, Jimmy Well, if you compare the opportunities for Palestinians compared to the opportunities of, uh, say, blacks under full, full bore apartheid, it, not quite, but yeah, Israel does have to do some heinous things if it's going to survive. Carter was attacked by Alan Dershowitz, by Joel Pollack, who's now at Breitbart. I was in the office when all this stuff was... And I have no problem calling Israel an apartheid state. It's not an apartheid state exactly as South Africa was. But uh, yeah, it has one dominant population, right? India is 80% Hindu. And now finally, the first time in India's history, okay, we have an Indian government over the past 10 years that has run for the benefit of the majority. Why shouldn't the United States have a government that's run for the benefit of its majority? And Israel, yes, is a government run for the benefit of its Jewish majority. Jews occupy about 75% of the Israeli population, and the government is on their side. Can you believe it? Oh, my God. The government is on the side of the majority of the people. Israel gets to have a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. From the educational system, to public housing, to public transport, to welfare policy to law enforcement. It is all designed around what is for the majority's benefit. Can you imagine the United States, England, Australia being run that way, or Canada? I, I think it's fantastic. I think we should, uh, we should imitate it. It was going down when they were smearing Jimmy Carter. It was kind of crazy, actually, at the time. And, uh, and basically, we have the situation where we have a political party, the Likud political party, which is a gangster political party, that basically doesn't enforce money laundering laws. If you're a criminal, if you're a Jewish criminal anywhere in the world, and even sometimes if you're not a Jewish criminal, if you're... Okay, why would you expect any party or any nation or any community to enforce laws that are very much against its interests? So I'm not up to date on you know, Israel's uh, law enforcement attitude towards money laundering, but I expect every community to act in its best interest. So if it's in the best interests of uh, Colombia or Mexico to be narco states, then... I'm not going to get you know up in arms about it. I don't expect Mexicans to give a damn about the the negative consequences to Americans from imbibing their you know cocaine product. Right? I don't expect Mexicans to care or to sacrifice for the well-being of Americans. I don't expect Colombians or Nicaraguans or Peruvians or anyone in Central or Latin America, South America, to make sacrifices and abstain from making money and developing power by abstaining from, you know, packaging drugs that Americans are willing to pay for. And if it's in Israel's best interest to have, you know, a lot of money laundering going on, certainly worked out seemingly pretty well for London, right? London's not particularly interested in prosecuting money laundering. London is a mecca for, you know, shady Russian gangsters to set up shop and wash their money and wash their reputations. So really is... Is Israel that much worse than London? I, I expect everyone to act in their self-interest. Possibly Jewish, okay? Plausibly Jewish. Then you can move your fortune to Israel, and the Israelis will take... You don't have to be Jewish to move to Israel. Over 100,000 people a year move to Israel who are not Jewish. Take a cut of it. So it's become a kind of crime state with, uh, with all these connections with the sort of underworld. And this is why they do things like back... You know, Alejandro Toledo, the guy who was just extradited to Peru, who I met and I've talked about before. It's why they do things like uh, back the Honduras president, who was a drug dealer. It's 
What if it's in the best interest of China to eat every last fish and whale? Then I would expect them to pursue that policy and then it will be up to the rest of the world to stop them. I don't rely on the kindness of the Chinese, right? I don't rely on the kindness of Mexicans. I don't rely on the kindness of Israelis or English. It's why they sell Pegasus and SO Group to the cartels, the Sinaloa cartels in particular. And it's why, you know, it's why they've done a number of these things over the years. They always try to get in the floor. They haven't sold Pegasus to the cartels. They sold Pegasus to the opposite, to the Mexican government that was cracking down on cartels. ...flow of information, in the flow of drugs, and so forth. So they're a kind of a pariah state. And it's my contention that a lot of what they do in the U.S. is they sort of lie about the Saudis, they lie about the Russians, they lie about the Iranians, because they want to basically control those countries and their exposure and their relationship. In other words, they try to act in their self-interest and try to put forward the narrative that fits with their hero system, just like you put forward narratives that fit with your hero system and Russians and the Saudis and the French, you know, put forward narratives that suit their hero systems, right? We're all just different forms of life competing for survival and thriving, trying to remake the environment around us to make it best suited for our own pleasure and wholeness and thriving. ...relationship to the U.S. government. And this is, of course, very bad for Israel, okay, which is the thing that blew my mind. I had been to Israel when I was a kid, but I hadn't really spent any serious time there. So I went to Israel this past summer, met with people in Yair Lapid's government, wrote about that experience in Israel, um, you know, met with some people who are Israeli, you know, fighter pilots, all the rest of it, who are against going to war in Iran, right? So I've been told that basically everyone in Iran, everyone in Israel hates Iran, they're all worried about Iran, 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 right? And then I'm meeting with people who are like in, you know, in the, in the Israeli military, in the intelligence services, in Mossad properly, and they all hate Bibi, and they all see Bibi as a greater threat to their civilization than, uh, than Iran or any other country. And what was fascinating about it at the time, and this was explained to me at the time too, but they said basically like we have this gangster government that is threatening members of the So Israel has the most right-wing government in its history, and uh, Bibi Netanyahu assembled a coalition representing the strong majority of the voters. Okay, so strong majority of voting Israelis disagree with this perspective. But, shock, horror, you can find some Israelis who do regard Likud as gangsters. So, therefore, they must be correct, right? The Knesset into resigning by threatening their children. We have a gangster government in that basically... um, we basically have this guy who's corrupt as all get out. He's, you know, how exactly is, is he corrupt? He, he's being put on trial for corruption, for accepting modest gifts. We're talking about thousands of dollars worth of gifts. We're not talking about evidence that he's taken tens of millions of dollars. So this idea that Netanyahu is just this you know, incredible level of corruption, we just don't have any evidence for that. And I couldn't care one way or another, but this fetishization of corruption because someone took a a gift that was worth a few hundred dollars more than you're legally allowed to take, right? Uh, It uh, doesn't keep me up at night. Prime Minister, you know, who wants to be our Prime Minister again. He's backed by the Chinese, possibly the Russians too. And he's extremely dangerous and he has all the support of some of the wealthiest Americans and Brits and other foreigners. He he wants to be, he is Prime Minister again, bro. Right, this is recorded April 26, two days ago. And we have his entire political party, 80 to 90% of its revenue comes from non-Israelis. Is that true? And uh, I'd be curious. So he's like, how would you feel if your president was backed 80 to 90% by foreigners? It's like, not good. Okay, so you could be backed, you know, 100% by foreigners. You still have to be elected by Israelis, all right? So you could have a billion dollars and you could buy a lot of ads, but if it's against what people see as in their best interest, you're not going to change their minds.
So it's not like Israelis have been hoodwinked by all this foreign cash. He's like, yeah, that's not good. So basically what, it came, what became clear to me was that there was this sort of like resistance to Netanyahu. This was this past summer. And then, of course, Netanyahu came back into power by basically threatening all these people, particularly women members of the Knesset. And I went back and I actually looked at some of my notes. We've talked about this before. Harry Jaffa was of the view that Israel was... Okay, that's not how Netanyahu didn't get back into power by threatening female members of the Knesset. He got back into power the old-fashioned way. He got elected into power and assembled a, a fairly uh, coherent uh, right-wing coalition that uh, furthers right government ever in Israel. ...was going to collapse because Israel had copied the Weimar Constitution, which led to you-know-who, right? Adolf, Adolf Hitler, right? That, and that basically BB was a... Yeah, some of these guys, they just hate Jews so much, they just can't wait to compare them to Hitler and the Nazis. Now, any, you know, anything slightly dodgy that uh, a Jewish group does, well, they're being just like Hitler. ...kind of Hitlerian figure who used the forms of democracy to take over the country. And indeed, what he's trying to do is he's trying to basically use the Federalist Society playbook that was invented in the United States of having organized crime take over the courts. He's trying to do... Yeah, the Federalist Society is all about organized crime taking over the courts. I mean, come on, bro. ...do that same thing with all this casino cash and all the rest of it, going into things like national conservatism, the whole Jerome Hazoni project and all that, which is at the Shalem Center, which is backed by Sheldon Adelson. You know, we've talked about him before. So I didn't understand all these like internal basic bitch fights within Israel. I kind of like, I had like all the pieces laid out, you know what I mean? So Sheldon Adelson could back Yoram Hazoni, but if Yoram Hazoni's ideas don't have resonance with people, if they're not useful to people, they don't excite people, if they don't fire people up, right? If people don't get value from his ideas, right? They would be going to national conservatism conferences. Right. Many of the most interesting thinkers in the world come out of Israel. Israel is disproportionately influential in intellectual realms because there are some very smart Israelis. I mean, but I hadn't put it all together right in the puzzle. And then what I started to realize is... That but now he's put it all together. He recognizes what's really happening. But actually, like, a lot of the Gulf states, they hate the Israelis too, right? They're just lying about it because of the Abraham Accords. and because. Yeah, different forms of life have different interests. And when they are next to each other, right, they often tend to have negative feelings about each other. Uh, New Zealanders and Australians frequently hate each other. Like, big deal. Mexicans and Americans tend to hate each other. Because they're getting all this pressure by the U.S. government. So when, you know, Joseph Biden gets in there, they can dispense with the fiction that they actually like the Israelis. They can basically, like, toss various people under the bus. Uh, the Gulf states will like the Israelis when it's in their best interest to like the Israelis. What determines whether the Gulf states will like the Israelis or hate the Israelis, all right? What would determine that is events, my dear boy, events, all right? When, when events change, then uh, the Gulf state priorities will change with them. Like we're living in a constantly changing world, right? Situations are changing, right? Alliances are breaking down. New alliances are being formed, right? So when events happen, situations change, people change with them. So when it's in the best interests of the Gulf states to form an alliance with Israel, they'll do so. When it's not in their interests, they won't. And that's kind of the world we're in now, is that the Emiratis have become helpful to the U.S. The Saudis are still kind of middlemanning a little bit, but they're going in the Chinese direction. And the Qataris have, have always been kind of in the British, European. And if the Chinese economy collapses, right, do you think uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran are going to choose to go down the toilet with China? French direction. So anyway, that's kind of the, the setup on these things. And... Um, Israel, of course, you know, 17 weeks of fighting. Um, Netanyahu and crew basically targeted. So they were using the birth certificate with Obama because Obama was, you know, the, his father wasn't who his real father was, which is why they.
Yeah, it was Israel that was trying to take down Obama, right? It wasn't Americans. Introduced that in the Clinton campaign and brought it up to Trump and to others. They always kind of extorted Obama with his biography, right? And Obama with all the gay stuff, right? There's people say, oh, you know, Charles, you're wrong about a woman being gay, whatever. I've talked about this before. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the um, in the David Moranis book that points in it. Certainly there's stuff in the David Garrow book. David Garrow removes two things from his book at Obama's direction. Those two things are one, all mentions of sexuality, two, all mentions of Frank Marshall Davis. Okay. Those two things are removed from the book. And for those who don't know, there are lots of us who believe that Frank Marshall Davis is Obama's father. I've written about that. Others have written about that. And indeed, it, it fits the history, the chronology, the whole bit. It explains why he's got no real relationship with the Kenyan side of his family. So and you remember Bill Clinton's like, oh, this is a fairy tale. The Obama story is fake and so on. And if you look at Obama's family history, particularly on his mother's side, there's all the CIA connections, which we, we can kind of talk about if people want to go there. But basically, Obama's past, his whole story was fake. You know, he told people he, his, his step-grandfather died fighting the Dutch in Indonesia. He actually died of a heart attack, hanging the drapes. Claimed that he was this poor kid in, in Mekong Dalam. You know, I went to his house. My ex-wife was Indonesian Chinese. You know, went to the house, and it's in all the place where they put all the spies. Right. Okay, there's been extensive investigation about Barack Obama's uh, past, so not, not everything he says is lies. All right, there have been many biographies of Barack Obama. People have you know walked all the lands that Barack Obama walked. They've spoken to thousands of people. Right, we have a pretty good idea of who Barack Obama is. Spy families. Okay, whatever, fine. What you have to understand about the Israelis is they're expert in blackmail. Like the Russians, they're very into political blackmail. This is what they do because they want to control you. So they try to get you on sexual stuff. If you're homosexual, if you're fucking women that aren't the women you're supposed to be fucking, they get you. Yeah, uh, a lot of powerful people are very good at blackmail, right? Not just Israelis, but uh, people in Hollywood. Which is what happened to Van Taylor and the whole ISIS bride situation. It's what they tried to do to Matt Gates, Congressman Matt Gates is my friend, the whole Joel Greenberg situation. They run these kind of blackmail operations. It's what they probably are doing to Stephen Crowder right now, right? And so they always try to have the dirt on you. And the dirt on you is very important, right? Because the dirt on you is used. So the Fox News publicist has the dirt on everyone who works for Fox. And so if they leave Fox or say anything critical or just need to be disciplined, then the Fox News publicist who is not Jewish, right, will uh, use it against them. So this is a very you know, common tactic. It's not something that's uh, unique to Jews. They control you. And so it has to be very good because they're trying to move money through you, right? Oftentimes from information, or they're trying to run a network around you, right? So this is a very important way of understanding how politics really works. Now we have the situation where they are assessing Joe Biden and they're assessing Hunter Biden and they're looking out at the world and they're seeing, oh, we have this guy, Joe Biden, who's running. We know him. He doesn't like us. He's pissed at us over Pegasus. He's pissed at us over uh, what we were doing and basically encouraging Obama to stay in Afghanistan for forever. He's pissed at us in his, uh, on the invasion of Libya, which we supported. And he's pissed at us on the whole situation with Stuxnet, where we basically let the virus out and things went a little crazy. And he's always had problems with Netanyahu in particular. And you'll recall Netanyahu, you know, Obama tried to topple Netanyahu. It didn't quite work. There was that whole situation there. Fine, whatever. Now, the Israelis come to the conclusion that the way to fuck up Hunter Biden, or the way to fuck up Joe Biden, is over the whole Hunter Biden situation. Okay? That this is his last remaining son. Remember, the man has buried his wife, buried his infant daughter, and buried his favorite son, you know, Bo Biden, uh, who, of course, was the attorney general. And yeah, it's just the Israelis who want to knock down Joe Biden, right? They're the only ones who have the agenda. It's pretty clear when you look at it pretty dispassionately that Hunter Biden uh, was Navy intelligence and remained Navy intelligence and that he sort of stayed a Fed all these years. And we had a very compromised DOJ under Bill Barr. Uh, for those who don't know, my family was you know, in CIA and whatever. So uh, Chuck Johnson predicts that uh, Hunter Biden is going to be shown to be a hero and is a future president of the United States. Uh, 
Schaefer were very much in favor of taking Bill Barr out of CIA in the Bush years, the Bush 41 years. And so I myself was targeted uh, by the FBI during, you know, as I mentioned, for going to go see Julian Assange at the embassy, which the CIA asked me to do. And I was targeted in particular by Bill Barr and by this Charles McGonagall character who's now facing charges for being on the payroll of various Russian oligarchs. And of course, he was helpful to the Israelis and other folks, too, because typically the way it works is if, you know, you sell out to one country, why not sell out to all of them, right? So, but our system, because we have a hard time talking about Israeli subversion, we kind of always make it about the Chinese or, you know, Russia or whatever, right, Iran, rather than talking about the Israeli subversion. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of Israeli spies in our media on, on all political parties. And many of those people are being drummed out of politics now. You could see that with, with Scott Adams, who's had like a rough career. You could see that with a number of their Likud assets over the last few months. Uh, Tucker Carlson being the most obvious example. But the... Oh, so the reason that uh, Scott Adams <laughs> ran into trouble is because he's a Likud asset. I thought it was because uh, Scott Adams said some ill-advised things. Okay, I, I don't think uh, Tucker Carlson got fired from Fox News because he's a Likud asset. The problems with the Daily Caller experiencing, uh, you know, we, get, we can kind of go down the list of kind of Likud-connected agents that are having a rough time of things. Maybe even Peter Thiel, we could put in that category, right? You saw the story today from Reuters that Peter Thiel's staying out of the 20, uh, 2024 elections, right? I know more about that than I'm allowed to talk about. I think it's a very, very good development. Let's put it that way. And of course, you can see Ari Emanuel, right, who runs what? The talent agency, right? Ari Emanuel uh, partying with, uh, with Elon Musk this past summer where he's like spraying him with the hose, right? You guys saw that? That photo where he's in Mykonos where he's got like those disgusting tits, you know, um, Elon, you know, the owner of the site. So I'm not gonna talk too much about his tits because I like having a Twitter account, but you get my drift. Um, anyway, what I want to say just on a final kind of like thing and then we'll kind of go to questions or whatever. We'll kind of chat more about this is, the Israeli system of government um, has basically decided it's going to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians. And it, you know, you can see this with Jonathan Pollard, who is the spy. If they wanted to, they could do it. Israel has the most powerful military in the Middle East and has had so for 70 years. So anything that Israel wants to do to the Palestinians, they can do easily. And they haven't, right? They haven't deliberately mowed down the Palestinians. They could do anything they want to them. That was brought over. Uh, by Trump and encouraged to be let out of jail by Jared Kushner, flew over on Sheldon Adelson's plane. In fact, the very last person that Trump pardoned, I think, was Avril Sella, who was the handler for Jonathan Pollard. Just kind of put that in perspective, who, by the way, killed a whole bunch of American assets, including family friends of mine, by all the secrets that he revealed. Um, yeah, so that's basically, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Joe Biden is having his son targeted by the Israelis. And this is, a, of course, a huge concern of ours. Yeah, Hunter Biden is just being targeted by the Israelis. It's not uh, Americans who want to... Want to do anything about Hunter Biden? And this is really what the Hunter Biden story is all about. And when we have the Dominion lawsuit, you know, Dominion has a lot of connections with uh, British intelligence. And you can see the lawsuits of Meghan and Harry against uh, the, the Murdoch empire. Of course, there's this Abigail Grossman, you know, Grossberg suit, Grossberg, I think is her name. I met her once before, by the way. I think there's a lot of weird stuff going on with that lawsuit. I do believe a lot of the stuff in it, but I think it's an example of the second the seal breaks in a lawsuit, everybody, like, it's a feeding frenzy. And I think that's what's driving a lot of this. A lot of people understand. Okay, I think there's something to that. I do think there's a feeding frenzy going after Fox News right now. Understand that the Murdoch Empire is being cut cut apart right now, and I think that's going to be the story of the next few months. Um, recall also, there, there's some yeah. weird things in there. I mean, because everyone focused on her complaints about a, a sexist frat house environment or something, you know, which is uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I, she knew what she was getting into or whatever, but. Um, yes, there's nudity at the strip club. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i not necessarily defending it, but it's just, um, I think that's kind of a smokescreen, though. I, th I think that might be the kind of, like, silly, fake because, I guess, in, in your ter terminology. Yep. And what's really, it's interesting with these tapes, because there's there really is there there. So she was doing pre-interviews with all of these Stop the Steal celebrities. And she had those tapes, and then she 
was you know involved in the discovery process and she seems to be she seemed to think that she was going to be made the fall guy in all of this or that fox was not cooperating uh apparently she says that there was misogyny and bullying at tucker carlson's operation and it trickles down Tucker Carlson was a star on the Fox News network until he was fired on Monday. Fox terminated the former host of Tucker Carlson tonight after he was implicated in multiple lawsuits targeting the network. Abby Grossberg, a former producer on Carlson's show, filed two of those suits. One accuses Carlson of creating a toxic work environment where misogyny and anti-Semitism were tolerated, even encouraged. Our co-host Leila Fadel spoke with Abby Grossberg about working on that show. I think the best place to start is a little bit from the end when I ultimately went and complained to one of my supervisors about the abuse and the bullying and the gaslighting and misogyny that I was putting up with at Tucker and his response to me. And she was shocked that uh, working for Tucker Carlson, that uh, Tucker and company are just like they are on the air, right? That's that's the essence of her complaint. She thought that, that what they did on the air was just was just an act. And apparently she, I'm not sure if she's ever met Tucker Carlson because he works from home. Me was, we're just following Tucker's tone. That's Tucker's tone. And I do really believe that it all trickles down from the top. And what you see on air is who Tucker Carlson really is. When I joined the show, I was hopeful that maybe there was a kinder person behind the on-air persona, but unfortunately, it's quite the reverse what's being said in the office by his team and also his lieutenants who are carrying out his orders is very consistent with what ends up on the air and what the public sees. You mentioned accusations of misogyny and gaslighting. If you could be sort of specific of what that tone was and how this type of misogyny manifested itself. It was blatant from the day I've walked in. A a popular example that I've discussed before is pictures of Nancy Pelosi all over the office. Just that's a speaker of the House, you could argue. At the time, she was the most powerful woman in America. And to belittle her and her physical appearance, I found to be disgusting. And I also thought that she looked terrific. Another example is debating, for example, when we had um, Tudor Dixon on the show and she was going up against Gretchen Whitmore, who was more, um, I don't want to use the language that they use, but who would you rather sleep with in the office? Who was hotter between the two? So there were blatant examples like that in the office. There were conversations that women who had tattoos or piercings or colored hair were disgusting. And that was a specific instance where I stood up and I said, wait a minute, you don't have to be attracted to these women or date these women, but you do have to respect them. And I'm extremely offended by that. When I ultimately did complain. Why do you have to respect them? Right. And who cares if she's offended? I mean, this this woman is just. uh, I, I would not want this woman around me. Right. I mean, she is just looking to cause trouble, just looking to create havoc, right? And the show, right, the show turned out to be exactly the same behind the scenes as it was in front of the camera. And she's offended and suing and just trying to take everyone down. What a delightful lady. did complain, and I was told that Tucker set the pace of the show. About approximately two and a half hours later, 
they retaliated against me and summoned me to HR for a meeting where they came up with bogus accusations about me that they wanted me to sign. And when I spoke back and I looked my abusers in the eye and told them everything that had been going on there and why the atmosphere was so difficult for me to endure with him. Yeah, her abusers said that they were not attracted to women with, you know, extreme colors of hair and tattoos and piercings. And they had pictures of Nancy Pelosi up in a bathing suit. And this is what constitutes abuse for Abby Grisberg. With anti-Semitism and with bullying and with the misogyny, I told them that I had to go to the bathroom sometimes just to compose myself so that I wasn't going to cry. And literally five minutes later, my boss said to me, you just told us you go to the bathroom to cry because you can't do your job. So it was that kind of gaslighting where you started to question your own reality. And they did that a lot at Fox. And day in and day out, that's really difficult to take. So that's sort of my characterization. I mean, I think you've used the words a living hell to describe your time at the show. I have. Uh, it got so bad at one point that I came home from work. I was in tears and beside myself talking to my best friend on the phone who I've known for 20 years, somebody that would never describe me as an anxious person, a sad person, a depressed person. And he recommended that I call a crisis line. And I did, which is something that I never would have considered. I thought I had too much pride to do that. And it really shows me that bullying can tear anybody apart when it's done systematically and routinely. You know, I'm listening to you describe a really terrible environment, but I'm also thinking about what Tucker Carlson has said publicly about immigrants, about women. I mean, he said pregnant women make a mockery of the U.S. military. He called Ariana Huffington a... Wait, listening to her describe a really terrible environment. I mean, for me, a really terrible environment would people would be people like Abby Grossberg in charge. I mean, if that's a really terrible environment, then what do you call when, say, the boss gives an employee an ultimatum, sleep with me, you'll get fired, or when there's, you know, physical abuse or things are thrown at you, or, you know, you're working for Harvey Weinstein. What's that, right? If uh, what Abby Grossberg has described is a really terrible environment, then what's it like working for Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein? Is that really, really terrible? He said things like women enjoy being told to be quiet and kind of to do what they're told, that they're extremely primitive. So Abby, I, I do have to ask like what you were expecting or what you were anticipating when you went to work on the show. I was expecting and anticipating a professional work environment. I hoped that it was an on-air persona. And my story is long when I was... So does Abby Grossberg think there'll be zero negative repercussions for what she's doing? All right. She is setting herself up to be absolutely loathed and hated. And she's bringing this on herself by claiming abuse for things that are not even slightly abusive. My God. So she's not going to like the consequences that, that come from her jihad of ultra-sensitivity with Maria Bartiromo for three and a half years prior to that, I was never given the promotion for the job that I was doing. 
So when the opportunity came up at Tucker, I was hopeful that it would be a promotion and that there would be professionalism in the office. And also knowing that he was primarily in Maine and Florida, that it wouldn't translate into the office culture. That was my hope. And I... Yeah, there's nothing I like more than professionalism in the office. I mean, isn't that great? I mean, doesn't that just make you feel warm inside to just spend time with people who are purely professional, right? This is just like anti-human. And this was all set up by civil rights legislation. Civil rights legislation has destroyed the the ability of people to choose their own community, to choose their own renters, to choose their own employees. And uh, civil rights legislation has empowered you know, these harpies like uh, Abby Grossberg. I unfortunately was wrong. Now, this is what a Fox News spokesperson had to say in response to your suits. Quote, we will continue to vigorously defend Fox against Ms. Grossberg's unmerited legal claims, which are riddled with false allegations against Fox and our employees. What do you say to that? sounds a lot like what they said about Dominion heading into that trial. That's my first thought. And Fox will do anything to protect themselves. They care about two things, money and ratings. And that comes from viewers. So even in cases in the past with, I know Gretchen Carlson received an apology, but there have been other cases that have been settled where they still said that they found no wrongdoing. And that Okay, I can't take any more of this woman. Uh, with the legal process and not engaging in full disclosure and so on. And so it, it's very it's very interesting. I think there's something there. And oh, then, there's 100% something there. The yeah, question and, is... And the Fred House behavior, you know, just, I don't know, whatever. You know, it's, uh, you know. Well, I mean, but, I'll, just, I'll just tell you, like, I mean, I saw that, right? I've personally heard Tucker say some pretty, some pretty crazy shit. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I've heard him say, like, you know, I mean... I'm no, I'm no preacher on this. You know what I mean? But like, you probably can't call women cunts and like have a corporate job in America, right? Yeah, probably you know, not. You know what I mean? There, I don't know. It, there does seem to be. He seems to get into the stuff maybe a little too much and in, in, a, in a kind of surprising way. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, it might be darker. I mean, you know, obviously. Well, first off, I'm a dude, so you know, if I ever had a regular job, uh, you know, the idea of pinups on the wall is not going to bother me, but um, it is kind of weird though, right? Like if you were, I agree. I, I mean, agree. I, I did see it myself when I was at Tucker's place. Like there are lots of pictures. There's a lot of photos of Nancy Pelosi from her time in Italy. Well, that was weird because I yeah. remember seeing those photos of this woman who's, I guess in her eighties now. And you know, all yeah, she has cannons. Like, let's just be real. Like she has giant tits. All I can do is tip my, tip my cap. It's like, wow, you, you've, uh, you've, you're, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. I mean, you know, good for her. Right. Like, I mean, this is why she was speaker of the house. No, but I, and I don't, I don't mean that in a creepy way. I, I, you know, genuine uh, admiration, Uh, but to to post that, I mean, I I did see that photo last summer or whatever and and chuckled at it, but like, I didn't post it on my fucking wall. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, but there's something about getting a little, like when you work in a newsroom, right. When you work in a newsroom, there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens in newsrooms. Okay. As anyone who's ever worked in one knows what I'm talking about. Like I've had people eat my sandwiches off my desk. I've had people like scream at me. I've had people, uh, I mean, all kinds of, and, uh, you know, I worked at the Wall Street Journal editorial page where I had a guy like basically like accost me who was ultimately fired. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy shit that happens among journalists because journalists are basically degenerates. They drink too yeah. much. They sleep with each other's wives or girlfriends. It's just, it's just the culture of these things. Now, I'm not defending it. Like, I think it's kind of wrong in all these ways. But, you know, journalists are not known for being like stable, normal people because like you can't make any money being a journalist. So you got to get your kicks some other way. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to hire a bunch of people, you know, you hire a bunch of young people, you pay them not that much money, right? And that's sort of the environment that, that, that Tucker was in. And by the way, I used to take all those guys out to dinner, right? We'd have like, when I was in D.C., I'd take them all out to dinner, feed them, because many of them were basically like 
you know, they would they were like wearing their old Brooks Brothers stuff. They were all like broke as a joke. And we take them out to like nice dinners, and of course they take my phone calls, right? And I could put people on Tucker's show or on other shows, right? And so you would basically like, you know, you'd give them all these fringe benefits. You try to work them, right? You try to get them to do what you want. And that's kind of how it works over in the media environment. What you do is the people who control the makeup, like you want all those people on your team, right? The people who, like, if you, you want to control the help on all these major shows, the hairdressers, the janitors, all those people really matter, okay? And because they hear things, they see things, they, they have a copy of a tape that they shouldn't have, and so on and so forth, right? And um, that's how it really works when you're trying to, like, influence and control all these things, okay? Now, what happens is that these cultures form and Tucker's not a manager. Tucker could give a shit about being a businessman, okay? Right. He's not like somebody who's like building a really great business. He's about himself. He's, he's, he's an addict, a self-described addict. He's a drug addict. He's an alcoholic, okay? He's popping Nicorette. You know, if anyone's been around him knows he pops Nicorette, you know, Nicorette, uh, you know, whatever, the Nicorette. Oh, oh, my God. We have the same vice? Oh, no. Yes. I mean, this is the Gen Xer in you, Richard. You know, this is dangerous. Um, so anyway. Uh... So I like what uh, David Brooks describes as a status income disequilibrium. And you have a highly desirable, high-status job, but relatively low income. So sociologists would call this status inconsistency. So David Brooks wrote about this in a 1996 article, The Tragedy of SID, S-I-D, Status Income Disequilibrium. So the sufferers of this malady have jobs that give them high status but low income. They lunch on an expense account at the Palm, but they dine at home on macaroni. All day long, the phone message slips pile up on the desk, calls from famous people seeking favors, but at night, they realize the tub needs scrubbing, so it's down on the hands and knees with the Ajax. At work, they are aristocrats, kings of the meritocracy, schmoozing with the rich and powerful. But at home, they are peasants, wondering if they can really afford to have orange juice every morning. So David Brooks characterized the sufferers from status income disequilibrium, TV news producers, museum curators, classical music performers, White House aides, and politicians. Also authors, academics, journalists, writers, British middle classes, and even... British MPs. So you probably want something a little more elevated to go into your weekend. You <laughs> but I, I know I, I, I have the same commitment to honesty. Yes. I, I was a, a, tangent thir, number 13. Yes. Oh, this is so a total tangent. I, 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 was, I was actually mentioning during my radio show that I'm so committed to always telling the truth to the best of my human ability. When I receive scripts from sponsors, which I have all of my life, basically, if there's something in there that isn't true, and there almost always is, I'll give one example, I, I omit it. So, for example, almost every script that I have to read says, so you contact my friends, friends. at uh, Billy and Jerry Pl Plumbing, and I, but if they're not my friends, I don't say it. I have, I have learned from you hugely in that regard, with the I mean, in so many yes. other ways, but with no, regard no, no, to ad right. advertising and omitting things that are not I always get a true. kick out of that. By the way, tangent again, this is a fun one. So not only do I not say it because it's not honest, I'm not sure it's effective. Right. Because if I say contact my friends... Yes, it's a nepotism. The, well, well nep not only that, maybe people think, oh, the only reason he's well, endorsing right. them is because I mean. they're his friends. That's what I oh, mean. Oh, yeah, the nepotism. Okay, right. fair enough. Yes. <laughs> Why is that an effective line? You know, on on this point of honesty, and again, you're so right that this is just so Dennis and Julie to go off an exit ramp and come back on. It is it is so important. This is something I've really learned, especially in the past year. If you want to live an honest life, you have to live an honest life in every arena. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later... It was eight seconds. Digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus 
concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack, tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Over a 1,000 reviews with an average star rating over 4.5. Prove it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com. Use the limited time code Prager, P-R-A-G-E-R, for 20% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back guaranteed. HealthyCell.com code Prager. HealthyCell.com code Prager. Okay, back to Kentucky. Yeah, if you want to supercharge your brain, guys, take HealthyCell.pro. I mean, HealthyCellPro. I mean, this is what honesty in advertising looks like. Just supercharge your brain with healthy cell. Guys, come on. Don't you want to supercharge your brain? Honest. And, you know, this is the Tucker that we all know, right? This is the real Tucker. And he's an addict. He went to AA, whatever. I don't have any beef with people going to AA. Frankly, I went to AA once myself. Kind of felt rude about it because I didn't really have as many fucked up problems as a lot of those people. I felt kind of like I was intruding, you know, um, just being honest about it, you know. Um, but, you know, whatever. People people can go to these things. So I think the addiction jumped. I think he got addicted to power, to influence, to all that shit you get involved in when you mm-hmm. think you're the man, right? You're the guy. You could you could make presidents, right? This is the same thing I saw with Ailes. Ailes was obsessed with this shit, too. And it's how these guys live, right? They think they can control the world by basically controlling what's on your TV. Now, of course, I always find that very funny. You know, like, I find it hilarious. Like, I always see these people, these hubristic people, and I find being around them to be a lot of fun because they're crazy, right? They're entertaining. Like, Steve Bannon is an entertaining man. He's genuinely nuts, right? And you talk to him, and you're like, oh, this guy's crazy, and he's, like, a part of the world. And But you kind of drift off of these people. At least I did when I was younger in my career. I wasn't my own person, really, right? You're in your 20s. You're trying to learn how the world works. And when you have a boss that's, like, kind of crazy calling you at all hours of the night, it's kind of fun, right? Because you don't have kids. You don't have responsibilities. And then, you know, you can make decisions. You can whisper in their ear. And then suddenly it's on TV or suddenly the hard-hitting questions you're asking of the politician is your question, right? That, that's how it really works. Now, this Grossman woman, though, or Grossberg, is it Grossberg or gross woman? Gross man? Grossberg. <laughs> Grossberg, yes. Grossberg, okay. So gr- gross, so big mountain, right? That's kind of what that means, right? Mm-hmm. So Abigail, what does Abigail mean? I forget, but gr- gross mountain. Okay, fine. Big, big mountain. She is basically Linda tripping the whole time, right? So the question is, is the booker who's at Tucker Carlson, who's a Jewess, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that, by the way. I like Jewesses myself. I've got a number of Jewish friends and colleagues and whatever. They're great. But you have to ask yourself, he's being condemned by the ADL, right? And he's being condemned by all these Mossad fronts. And he has a Jewish woman that he's putting on as his booker, right? It makes you wonder. It makes you chin stroke on these things, right? And he's putting her in this position. And she's controlling all the guests coming in and coming out. And by the way, the second she got the job, they stopped taking all of my phone calls, okay, that whole operation. And Alex Pfeiffer, who was one of my guys there, who's in the text messages back and forth with Tucker, Alex Pfeiffer is quickly fired. Alex Pfeiffer married a woman who worked at the Israeli consulate. Again, he somehow lost my number, okay? So, and by the way, he used to talk all this shit about all the Jews, personally, like, say that. And then he marries a Jewish woman, so go figure, right? Um, so, who knows? Uh, I had some run-ins with Alex Pfeiffer as well. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. He's a very strange yeah. character in that way. So anyway, um, I always liked him. You know, if he if he were to you know come over, I'd give him a drink or whatever. We'd hang out. We'd have a good time. Um, I I've got no ill will towards any of these people, by the way. I want to be very clear about this. I think they're part of a fucked up machine, and that fucked up machine gets them to do bad things, right? It's sort of like you can't really keep your soul if you're going to run a strip club, or you can't really keep your soul if you do certain jobs, right? Just the nature of the job makes you do terrible things. Maybe it attracts terrible people. That's a sort of separate question. But what I think happened, and this is kind of this is all speculation. Please don't sue me. If you do sue me, please, you know, this is my opinion. It's protected speech. Blah blah blah. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I think what happened was she started to realize that she was in real trouble. And she started Linda tripping everything just to have self-preservation, self-protection. And she also realized uh, that Tucker, maybe the place was as anti-Semitic as the ADL said. Or maybe she's a spy the whole time and from a family of Mossad agents or whatever, right? And that this was an op run against Tucker. In much the same way that over the years, people have installed you know, foreign spies as producers of this company, this, this business or that business, right? 
Yeah. You know, the BBC has all kinds of British spies in it, right? So uh, that would be sort of the frame that I would have on it. And if you have the view that there are lots of journalists that are also spies, this is... So what do you think? Do you, do you think it's most likely that she comes from a family of Mossad agents or she's exactly who she says she is? So I suspect uh, the odds are about 10 to 1 that she's pretty much who she says she is. That's just what I'm thinking. This is also a possibility. We can't dismiss it out of hand. Now, the most likely explanation is, as she says, that she grew disillusioned with this job. We've all been there, right? We've all had jobs that we thought were awesome and super awesome, and we'd tell our parents about, we put on our resumes and brag to our friends about, and then slowly the job like eats our soul or takes our freedom or like gets us in real trouble. And so maybe she did have a sincere conversion, right? I do think it's a convenient conversion, um, but maybe she had it, right? We, you know, you and I, of all people, shouldn't, shouldn't speak ill of people who've had changes of mind, right? Um, right. So, so I think there could be a sincerity there. I don't know. I just know that it may be made that way, whether it's true or not is immaterial, right? So it could be one of those situations where the U.S. deep state wanting to take out Rupert Murdoch and take out Tucker Carlson makes her conversion legitimate for the purposes of taking down Tucker Carlson. In much the same way that I don't know that I really buy the Ray Epps story as presented on 60 Minutes, but I know that the, the deep state wants that story to be true so that it gives a, a way down from the, from the ledge of a lot of the boomers that had problems with the sloppy election of 2020, right? So, so Ray Epps becomes a kind of like dupe patriotic Marine Right. Rather than a sort of violent, you know, person. Well, when you say you don't I don't fully buy the self-serving aspect of Ray F's story where he was like, you know, I, I think at one point the journalist asked him, you know, what, what did you whisper in that man's ear? And and he was like, I whispered to him, you know, don't hurt anyone. You know, that's not who we are. I was like, all right, this sounds extremely self-serving. Well, of course, it's uh, self-serving because I, I he's another bite at the apple. Right. So he's going to be he's yeah, going to. But, but just to finish, I, yeah. I, I think that Tucker's obsession with Ray Epps. I mean, he did have that. I mean, the, the MSNBC is correct when they say that. Like, he gave them more airtime than is... Uh, it's ridiculous. And, you know, apparently he's, you know, he interviewed Darren Beatty for a documentary, uh, you know, on January 6th. I mean, he dug his own grave with that nonsense. And well, and of course, we talked just, about Darren Beatty's connections with the Russians, right? Well, yeah, exactly. And, and it's like that, that whole... That, that was kind of sophisticated propaganda. I mean, I do think that... I mean, look, there is something curious about Ray Epps. I'll, I'll, I'll grant them that. Um, but the, the way in which they fixated on this, like, so does Darren Beatty or anyone have a connection with the Russians if they've ever dated a Russian girl or if they have a Russian friend or they've ever worked for a Russian boss? Does that mean that they're just all hooked up, all up inside the Russians? Weird boomer who wasn't really able to defend himself. I mean, this well, does need, well, well, if you're Russian, propaganda. If this you're Russian, Russian or is, style kind of thing. Yeah, if you're Russian or Israeli or Chinese, you need the you need the Fedsurrection narrative because you can't have the narrative be that it was an attempted coup by your agents that were sprinkled throughout the crowd. That's right. very important for you. Okay. Yes. You need it to be that the FBI caused it. No, it's not. It's not very important. It obviously wasn't an attempted coup. It was. It was a riot. Yeah. It was. Uh, an out of control, you know, spasm of of anger and resentment and disappointment. It, it didn't come anywhere close to being an attempted coup. Did because you need Americans to turn against the FBI, and in turning against the FBI, right, you need them to break the FBI. That's very important because if the FBI is fighting and receiving all this pressure from Americans, or there's all, an effort to reform it or whatever, right? The FBI's eye is off the ball when it comes to all of your intelligence operations that are running in the country. And as we saw, you know, they have Charles McGonagall on the payroll of the Russian oligarch, right? And I- Yeah, I strongly suspect that the Luke Ford show is infiltrated by Mossad spies and weirdos, Torah weirdos. I suspect, 
I suspect that that's not the only example of that. In fact, no other examples of various people who are in law enforcement who work for the cartels or for others. So, and there have been all sorts of people who've been drummed out of this thing or that. So, and, and also look at the the knee jerk reaction this type of thing has created. Like it's created. So I give uh, Chuck Johnson and Richard Spencer massive credit for just being incredibly compelling, right? They're incredibly entertaining. So even if what they're saying has no connection to truth, I, I give them entertainment props. The knee-jerk reaction around Ray Epps as, you know, like, this man is solely responsible for all of this disaster, and yet patriots are being blamed. But it's created like a knee-jerk reaction around the Tishera, or T however you pronounce his name, the, the person who was putting documents um, into his Discord server to show off to his buddies. I mean, I, I have said, and I usually, um, I said this in, our, in my Substack thing, but I, I, it's out there for free. Um, I, I think that there's a lot more to that story. I, I think that, that Tishera is a, is a patsy of some kind and that there was someone working him and giving him the information. So it, it becomes even more sinister. But look at the need. I mean, that, that's my speculation. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that he tried to destroy his Xbox? <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. doesn't that... Whoa, he tried to destroy his Xbox when law enforcement busted him. Wow, that's sinister. Kind of speak for itself. <laughs> uh, it speaks for itself in, in what way? <laughs> it's weird. And then you sure. see today, right? So he's talking to all these people in a Discord server. Discord was trying to be acquired by Microsoft. Microsoft, a company that Steve Ballmer once described as more Israeli a company than an American company. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then you... Wow, if uh, Steve Ballmer said that off the cuff, that, then it must be absolutely the God's honest truth, the, the deepest, most profound truth that anyone could possibly uncover about Microsoft. You look at, he's trying to destroy his Xbox. He's 21 years old. He's at the Air National Guard, which is exactly the place that you can penetrate. And he's talking to his buddies about all the weird documents he has in his Discord server. And, you know, you have to understand, like, clearly the Discord server, if you owned a Discord server and you weren't a foreign intelligence trying to penetrate it, like, why do you even have foreign intelligence if you can't identify this kind of stuff? Right. Right? It, and also, he, he was a very, he was the type of person that Russians, in this case, I, I think it, it might, might very well be Russians, or you could say Israeli. I think, it's probably I, I, think the, I think it's probably the Likud Israelis who then shared yeah, it with the Russians. Yeah. Right. Be on it. But <laughs> he's, he's the type of patsy. He, he's just like opening himself up to be a patsy in the sense that he's a, he's, he has some level of clearance because he's working with the, the Air National Guard. He's, you know, a mass hole type kid. He has all these like indicators of some kind of psychopathic personality disorder, um, which were just revealed today in a filing where it's like, this, this kid was talking about Molotov cocktails and all the guns and all this. Like he, he's he's a little too fascinated with these things. Um, so yeah, but anyway, yeah, he's from a broken home, right? He's from yeah. a he's from a broken home. He's Brazilian, right by blood, and he's from a family that has sort of mental instability in it. And it seems he himself has it. So yeah, I mean, look. But but my point was, look at the the knee jerk reaction that they have, the, whoever has created. So. Like, he is a hero, according to, like, Glenn Greenwald and Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think Glenn Greenwald is, is probably a asset of some kind. Marjorie Taylor oh, Greene, I think she's almost like a, just a, a natural asset. <laughs> you know, like, she, her knee-jerk reaction is, the FBI is lying, this young man was trying to save us. And they have this, any time there's any sort of, you know, information that goes out there, it's immediately suspect. They, they just, they jump to a, you know, weird, wild story that the, the deep state is doing this immediately, without even assessing the situation. I mean, I, I mean, literally, I, I think that Putin could drop a tactical nuclear weapon and Tucker Carlson would, like, blame Joe Biden. Or, like, literally, they could... Well, it's, part of, it's part of the extra mindset, man. It is. <laughs> well, like, why, stop blaming my generation. For, for no, but you know that I'm right. We're, like, like, the most, we're the most innocent of generations. No, but you know like, that the, I'm right, right? Like, you, you've no, been, you've been... Okay, I'm not really into generation talk. I don't find it a powerful key for unlocking how the world really works. Okay, take care. Good shabbos. Goodbye. Bye-bye.